Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming in for the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, wow, great episode today. I don't even I don't even know where to start with this guest. Adrian King is fucking an amazing human being. Uh, though we've never met in person, I'm honored to say that he has become a friend. Uh, I was once a guest on his podcast, Adrian Has Issues, and then he's been a guest on this show, and he's been a guest host with the episode of Marisha Schwartz. I listen to his show and try to steal guests from him more than anyone else for all the podcasts I've listened to since I met Adrian. Uh, if you go back, you can listen to Jeff Beck from Eastside Mags. Heard him on Adrian Has Issues first. I, uh, I asked Jimmy LaChase on, which was an episode previous to this episode. We recorded this out of order. Because of this conversation with Adrian, he told me to go listen to Jimmy's podcast again, and which I had listened to in the past, and I went back to it. I listened to the rant, and I said, I gotta have Jimmy LaChase on. Uh, Adrian shares, likes all my great social media stuff for the podcast, and just just a wonderful dude. Turns out my wife and him have some mutual friends. I cannot wait until Adrian and I actually get to meet in person. Uh, we live far away, but we talk a fair amount on the old internets. Super supportive. I cannot recommend his podcast enough to people. It's focused on like the geek culture, but he's got comedians, people, comic book writers, people who have been Emmy-nominated, and Adrian's a fucking amazing host and just... What a great podcast. You can check them out. AdrianHasIssues.com. They're on Twitter at AdrianHasIssues. Facebook, AdrianHasIssues. Instagram, AdrianHasIssuesPod. Uh, yeah, just check out this site. It's fucking great. It's a weekly podcast chronicling one man's geeky misadventures. Uh, they're on Stitcher, anywhere you find that stuff. Oh, they have Tumblr. AdrianHasIssues.tumblr.com. I think I'm technically the f- I'm like one of the first or second guests. Check out Adrian has issues. You can listen to me as a guest in that show, which would be very kind of you. But he's got a lot of other amazing guests: Jeff Beck, Jimmy the Chase, who you could hear on here as well. And the one I listened to most recently was called "The Pre-Canceled Life," and it was a a comedian named Kelly. I forget her last name. Great episode. I just I can't speak enough good things about Adrian. I don't know if he's going to listen to this. And I hope he does not because I just kind of fanned out for like three minutes over him. Let me quickly plug my stuff and then we'll get right to it. Check us out online. This podcast is a part of the Misfits Podcast Network. Their website is themisfitspodcast.com. Sign up, uh, subscribe to the newsletter, follow them on all the internets, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. And I'm on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast, and I have a Facebook page for the show. And uh, poke around to some some old episodes. I I'm I kind of look back and I was like, damn, I've had some really great episodes. And also another quick plug for any of you in the New York City region: check out braceforgympack.com for more information. Uh, last episode we had the wonderful Jamila Chase. He has a production company with some uh, great comedians, Kevin Ricotta, Mike Gifaldi, Mood Swing Comedy, and they are bringing Barry Crimmins. I believe that's how you say his last name. He has recently been the focus of Bobcat Goldwaith's new documentary, Call Me Lucky. He's coming to New York City. There are some tickets left, and and he'll be playing October 18th and 19th, so check that out uh, Barry, on uh, braceforgympack.com or just find any of Jimmy LaChase's stuff on social media and our Facebook page will be posting about it. Anyway, let's get to it. The return of Adrian King. Hey, 
born sinner. The opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey B, Kid Capri. Funk, Master Flex, Love, Bump, Star, Ski. Have you ever done the thing where you accidentally delete the file? Because I did that. That was embarrassing. <laughs> I've done that once. And yeah. Yeah, I, it's just. I didn't tell the I did I did it and I didn't tell the people exactly what happened but I was like yeah there's some technical difficulties I'm really sorry can we do it again and they they everyone's always been really nice about coming back and doing it and because it was someone I knew so it wasn't like a big deal but it was I felt stupid on my end because it was just like I forgot I was trying to delete something else and I for, I had hit control and didn't realize it so I hit I, I don't you know those like just little things you're not paying attention to on the computer. Ugh. You know what I've come to realize, though? And this is something hey, that... that... Sorry, my cat is now trying to chew my mixer. <laughs> that's Yeah, I was about to say, uh, that's that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I've had that. I've had my cat one time walk over and unplug, the le- unplug it. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Hello? I'm here. Um, oh, thank God. I was no, like, no, no, What no. I was thinking of... <laughs> So I'm not sure if you, where you wanted to start because I figured you probably didn't want to have the start of your show um, being um, about how much you screwed up our perspective podcast. Believe it or not, that's come up more than once nowadays. I feel like that's how I start them all. I'm like, yeah, I've locked up more than once. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> it's one of the beauties of, and I think when you guest on the show, there has to be that somewhat expectation of, and this this is going to sound really bad, but I'm definitely not knocking us or anybody else who does this. But when you're working on, let's say, an amateur podcast, I mean, there's got to be a certain expectation that you try to put your best foot forward, but this is definitely not something that, you know, this is all kind of out of labor of love, because unless, like, we're getting, like, some sort of paid sponsorship for this, you're really kind of just, you know, working it with whatever equipment you have, and I don't know how many of us record out of, like, actual studios, so... Oh God! Yeah, you kind of you have to understand into it. Believe me, I to tell you the truth, if I knew that it would kind of pan out, and maybe in a in a way I was considering it, if I actually had a steady revenue stream that way, I would definitely love to actually have like a a full fledged studio to record. Oh yeah, if I was rich, be a way different story. (laughs) Right. Way different. If I had the means, if I was someone who had like enough disposable income that I could do that, I would probably do it. But then I'm, I think, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I think or at I'm, least maybe making friends with more, uh, with more studio people. Like, Hey, you know what? Do me a favor. Like, you know, I'll take you out to dinner. If I can like use your studio for a little bit. Yeah. When I first started this, the guy I started it with at one point, his goal was to get, uh, we were, he wanted us to rent out a space where we could record our podcast. And I had like, no, I'm not fucking paying for that shit. We could record in my bedroom for free. I think the idea was like when we started getting guests we didn't know, and it went on to be like, hey, come to my bedroom. <laughs> that was before we knew how to do <laughs> Skype records. So I think, and, and I guess that would make sense if I was like, lived like where, if I got to a point where I was like recording in person with people, but I'm not at that point and probably never going to be. Like, it just doesn't make sense, right? Like, I don't see a dime from this, and nor do I ever want, well, I wouldn't mind money, but I don't expect to. It's one of those things, like, for instance, I will say this, uh, the Tascam recorder became my best friend because it wasn't, it wasn't cheap. It was about, let's say, 230 
um, on Amazon, which is heavily discounted from like another $200. Oh, wow. Uh, granted, my microphone wires are way too long for this thing because they're your typical Radio Shack um, wires. You have the XLR output that goes into the back of the microphone, then, of course, the jack that goes into the bottom of the Tascam. And now I now can record with extended microphones. Because the internal ones, they're great for like live recording, but the problem is if you're doing a one-on-one interview, it picks up so much ambient noise and it's kind of problematic. Yes. But with this thing, you get really decent quality, and it's yeah, it's a little expensive, but if you're someone who maybe you have someone in your area that you're gonna do a local show with, you get you know two mics, get the thing, and just bring it with you. It's pretty portable. Yeah, I always wanted to do something portable. I always think that would be cool to go to Comic-Con and try to get some like live ones. I, tell you the truth, it's one of the best things I ever decided to do. Like, yeah. If you are someone who – and because like you, obviously, this is something that you're maybe not necessarily getting paid for, but you're into this. You're someone who's going to be doing it for a very long time. I think it's worth the investment. Yeah, I think I, it's definitely in my head, which which actually is a cool point. I wanted to say – um, so like – I think so. We I don't know when we first recorded, but it was a while ago, right? I think I was on your show first, and then you were on. I forgot the order of it, but like you know, that's at least what are we talking six months? Because it was cold out. I remember. It was. I want to say it'll be. I think a year in December. So yeah, it's almost like close to six like a months. A year ago, and it, it's kind of cool. Like doing it. I'm sure you might have the same experience. Like I've done it long enough. Where now I'm kind of go, getting some people. I'm kind of coming back again, and it's really nice to see that, like, a I'm still doing it, and then your show still exists. It's not like Adrian, former podcaster. It's like, hey man, we're still here. This is cool. Yeah, it really is. It's scary though because a lot of shows, and again, I'm not throwing out names, but a lot of shows have come and go in the short amount of time that I've been doing this, and it's. I think I said this before on another show, um, but. You think it's something you take for granted that sitting down and talking every week about whatever it is that you're discussing is going to always go on. But, I mean, things can happen, I guess, life changes, some positive, some negative that may require you to not be able to do the show. So to say that, hey, after six months and we're still at it is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, especially for, like, at least for someone like me who is not one to usually commit to things, like... I'm just, hobbies have never been my thing. Like I just can't stay interested in things this long usually. Yeah, I, I play like PlayStation. I beat a game and then I don't touch my PlayStation for like nine months. I'm just it's it's weird. I'm just one of those people and like, and the thing is, I feel like I'm just getting started. Like I'm like the more I do it, the more I like want to do more of it and do better at it. It's really fun. It's cool. And it gets me. It's amazing though when you find your passion like that. Yeah, no, and a passion that could not have existed more than like eight years ago, because it just didn't exist. It's right. yeah, it's and there's fun. There's so many podcasts right now. And you know, I've even I've actually been a guest on podcasts that have come and gone that don't even exist anymore. Or like we, were, I one time recorded as a guest on one with someone I knew in real life, and then the show ended before my episode even aired. What? Yeah, you know, it was on for How a bit. How did that happen? They just decided to stop doing it. It was just like just like that. And I was like, oh, all right. Which, it was kind of annoying, right? But then it was just like, all right, I guess. And I think the more that we do our show, I think it's. I think people are more likely to say yes when they see there's a bigger body of work behind you. Right, and a more consistent body of work. Because I think at the end of the day, consistency is your best friend. Like, 
I mean, yeah, audio quality is great. Um, chemistry is always good if you're doing like an interview based show. But that consistency to say like, hey, you know, at least every week you try to put out new content. And at least for you, and this is one thing I think what's great about what you do on your show is the oh, fact that your show, and I think, you know, because I think we both try to do the same thing where even if we don't have maybe an episode this week or maybe there's some downtime, you still keep an online presence. Yeah. You're still interacting. You're still engaging. And I think that's very important when you have a show because I was saying this to my girlfriend um, last week because there's so many podcasts out there. And it's great that there are so many, but at the same time, it becomes a battle for people's time, which is precious. So with that in mind, you now have to realize, okay, I'm not that special in the fact that a lot of people have shows now. You kind of have to give people to, uh, a reason to give a shit. Oh, yeah. So by having a consistent show and having a show where it sounds like you're having fun, and you do, because listening to Let's Chat, you're a fan of your guests. And that's what's really cool because there's some people who it's like, oh, I want to interview you. But it's like, I want to interview somebody, but I don't necessarily care what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. That's really nice. Yeah, I think because especially because it's not it's a labor of love. There's this part of like, well, I have anyone on. I don't give a shit about. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also, it's also it, it more it's selfishly. It's my time, and I want to have a good time. Though I've definitely had people on I wasn't interested in. I won't lie. Uh, but things have happened in a certain way. But like, sometimes they work out great, and then sometimes they don't at all. But sometimes it's all about just getting a, an episode up, right? <laughs> just so you don't miss your. <laughs> Is Monday. that bad to say? <laughs> is yeah. that bad to say that you know and thankfully i haven't had too many horror stories because believe me i'm always glad when people are up are coming to talk to me but sometimes i feel like maybe i should apologize because there have been days where i've done shows and i've been terribly sick or maybe like i was tired and i'm like maybe i didn't put my best foot forward but then yeah. i hear that they have such a great time chatting with me and it's like it keeps you going because there's sometimes i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna, not gonna do the show yeah, I know. but I'm like, dude. I I kind of been I've been I go through a phase where I record like a bunch at once, and then I don't have to record for a while. And I got too far of not recording, and I kind of it got hard because I forgot how hard it is to book it. I mean, I literally I had like 15 episodes banked because I just went on this rampant. So I went for maybe like four months where I didn't record a single episode, and then I was like, shit, it's hard to get guests again. <laughs> like. I forget how long it takes to meet someone online, ask them if they want to do it, have them say yes, and then agree upon a date, especially when you live far away in different time zones. It takes forever. And I'm like, huh. So maybe, and that's the part, and I'm like, maybe I don't want to do it anymore. And every time I think I don't want to do it anymore, I'm like, no, nah, I'm kidding. I, I want to do it. Because I get so excited by the numbers and all the cool little, those little tiny things that happen that make it from, like, you know, from the day one till now, so much has changed with, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like in terms of like downloads and other opportunities and other ways, I don't measure it just by downloads because I don't think that's fair or it's not right. And um, it's because it's all about little tiny things, right? Like I remember I've had a week one time I had like no one downloaded this one episode and I got a guest that um, it was um, Stephen Smith who uh, he was you know Fuse for uh, was it Stephen's on Title Rock Show? Yeah, and I love his podcast and he agreed to do it the week I had no downloads and I was like. Okay. Downloads don't mean anything because nobody sees those numbers except me. And that's something that I have to keep constantly reminding myself because maybe this is becoming a little bit more confessional than I would like to, but... I'll take anything you want out. 
There's, there's no, this is, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell the truth here because I think maybe some people may, you know, maybe take to this as well. Going back to the whole labor of love thing, because again, we don't get paid for this really. It's not like you could sit back and not work and, you know, just podcast all day as much as we would love to, but we unfortunately don't have that luxury right now. So when you're putting yourself out there for this, because it's something that you love, I don't know if maybe it's different for you, but there's definitely that part of me where you kind of part of me where I definitely want to see that, you know, there's there's results being made because there are times we'll all have of what I think is a killer podcast. I have a great episode. Um, we had great chemistry, you know, and I'm like, I put it out there like I can't wait for you guys to hear this. And then, of course, unfortunately, what happens is you look at those stats and you realize these stats aren't what I thought they were going to be. Yep. And I'm one of those people, unfortunately, like, I guess I'm lazy, but when I can be a perfectionist, I will be. And it's bad because I'll look at the numbers and in my head, they're like, these numbers are terrible. What am I doing wrong? And then you start saying, well, this is worth doing or maybe I'm just wasting my time. But then you realize that these numbers are good because if I what it should be and what it started out as being was not about the numbers. It was just having fun. So even if I had one, two people listening to my show, that's one or two more people than I thought I ever would get. So it's it's weird because there's sometimes I will get very discouraged, but then you say to yourself, remember how you felt when you recorded, like, you know, with you. Like, remember how you felt when you had John Maiello from Dead Bars or you had, you know, Steve Smith or, you know, whoever it may be. Remembering how much fun you had recording those shows and that sort of rush you get from it. That, in a way, is what's really important, and that's what people are going to gravitate to, not necessarily the numbers, unless it's like you're getting this big celebrity or getting someone big, and it's like, okay, I want to make sure this is worth my time, how much reach is this going to get? But for us, I think right now, it's just about, I think, enjoying ourselves and being really what you're into. So, yeah, those numbers can really be your worst enemy sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of funny you said that because all of that I was like, yeah, that's pretty true. There's definitely time. I have a number in my head of what I always want everyone to hit. And now just the way things have been going, I had like a really good up streak. My like the my, before my max number is now my new low number. It's weird. I, I and totally, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's um it's just been pretty crazy. Like it's it's been crazy. Like I think the network has been a huge part and. I think too, like I notice that like we make those numbers judgments, but I also have noticed times where an episode I think will do, cause I, you know, you just, I don't know about you. I just do like first week. I'm like, what does it do in a week? And sometimes it does good. Dunton does nothing or whatever, but I have noticed a certain episode. If it's that good, if I really believe in it, I just feel if it's one that I'm like, more people are going to like this. And why didn't they listen to it this week? I always notice that's the one that people go back to, even if it's like 30 or 40 behind, if it's like a name, like, I had like an author on like Nevin Martell and I was like, man, I don't, how did this one not do so good in the first week? And I swear to God, that's the one that I always see people going back to like so many, there's a couple of them. And then uh, Tom Mullen from washed up emo are the two I noticed are the ones in the past. that get downloaded consistently every single week. And that was a really awesome get. And I guess this is kind of like pulling back the curtain because I know I um, talked to them about getting them on a show because I think what had us bonds, was the music and you know watch the Bemo i think is, is really great and that that's one um and matter of fact didn't you just have um the guitarist of uh united nations on your show recently yeah yeah jonah 
which, oh, man, I almost I, wish I was able to, like, Skype in on that uh, conversation oh, man. because Actually, I'd be that guy and I'm like, oh, my God, can you please sign my copy? Of... <laughs> oh, I know. You know, it's weird. I didn't even know much about Yuan at all. I barely asked him about it. <laughs> oh, see, I would have talked his ear off about United Nations because as is that controversy, they're constantly getting in trouble from yeah, the real yeah. organization. Well, they got do, sued for the album cover. Do you listen to his podcast? Um, I listened to a few episodes. I really enjoy it. I really want to have him on because, again, that's him. And, I feel that Steven, yeah. But this is one thing. Uh, you know what? And this is funny. I love how I'm saying this on air because once I say it on air, I feel like I'm gonna have to commit to it. I, I we might have talked about it, but I did have a music blog. Like this is going back maybe a yeah. year or two years ago, and I realized the blog was cool and it was great going out meeting bands. You know, featuring their stuff on a blog, and then occasionally people would be like, "Oh, you're that Hobbs Knobbery guy," and it was so much fun, but it was very time-consuming because it's like, you know, you get an email, or maybe I'd find a band, blog about them, listen to the album several times, like so I could write a you know concise review. Having um, an output of content every day became very, very time-consuming. So I had this idea, and I figured since we're both into music. I had this idea of maybe refashioning the uh, the show, the blog into a podcast. A blogcast. Yeah, like I mean, I don't know if I would do the written portion because again, like maybe for certain things I would, but maybe there's a way I can kind of mold it into Adrian has issues somehow because I love your show because you always have musicians on it and I'm like, damn, I really miss talking about music, but it's a little limiting unless it's you know about the the geek genre in a way so i don't always get to have your really cool guys like you know watch the demo or you know dudes from united nations because i'm like damn i missed that so much that made me feel really cool uh, i'm sure you could like because like watch the bemo is cool because it's like or even nerdist right it's like it's the the brand because watch the bemo is the podcast the website so like adrian issues you could totally have like that be adrian issue has issues be your brand and then you have, like, your podcast, and then you could have your music site, and, like, it should all just be one-ass umbrella blog. <laughs> one big-ass umbrella. Yeah, you know, like, you have the geek portion of it, and then you could have, like, a, um, like, you write about music on it. So, like, that should, like, think, think of it more as, like, a blog, and then the podcast is the part of the blog. Because I, I think Nerdist did that really well, which they turned into a multi-million dollar brand, where it was just, like, you talk about, and then they're able to hire people and do all that really cool stuff. Which would be great because I'm sure you and I were thinking about it. How great would it be to actually have a team to work on things? Like, oh you know, you can you can probably work on booking people and having like a full on editor and things like that. I mean, like, oh, it, wouldn't that be a dream? <laughs> I know, and like, there's it makes me. There are people who make money off podcasting, like podcasters, but like any of the sound engineers or all those people that are booking for Nerdist and like I think they're more LA based. But I'm like. Even if that's never something in my career path, it's just cool to know the industry. Like, when Obama went on WTF, like, the whole podcasting game just went up a whole fucking level. It really did, and I, I'm so glad you brought that up, because I really wanted to talk about that. And, first off, Mark did 
I love WTF with Mark Maring, and I think I'm one of those people who love it but also complain about it sometimes, even though it's a free really? podcast. <laughs> 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 but I, I, I love it. I but I also because I feel I I understand. I have I feel like I get this like one dimensional relationship with these people. Like I feel like I know Chris Hardwick. I honestly feel like I know him. I know I don't. I'll never meet him. I don't care if I meet him. But like I listen to so many episodes of Nerdist, and I I love at midnight, and I watched. And I, you know, like, and he's introduced me into so many comedians. Like at this point, I'm like, God, everyone I love, I've learned about from like a few different podcasts and a couple TV shows. At this point, there's like this circle of people. I just, I'm fucking in love with all of them. I've bought right. books. I've gone to live shows. Like I'm part of like, I feel like I'm, uh, who, uh, Kyle Kinane came around here and I was like, seen him at midnight. Gotta go see him. I love Doug Ben. I love Doug Love movies. Gonna go see Doug Benson. He comes around. I bought Mark Maron's book. And again, because you support it, like you're into it, so then as you do, go out and support it, and that's really what it's about. Oh, it's it's so great. And then, but when he had like Obama on, he just like it was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted to hear. Like it was a conversation, and like I voted for Obama twice, but like most people, like you know, I'd, like all Democrats, you you vote and then you kind of just give up and complain about everything else and don't pay attention to politics. <laughs> <laughs> right like i mean I, i'm pretty engaged but i'm not very but like i like i felt rejuvenized by obama i was like yeah wow i really like this guy like as a man like i really just like him like you know netflix did that they made a documentary about mitt romney when he ran for president who i did not well oh, i remember that but the documentary made me like him as a human being and but like this but this, we're talking podcast obama on Marin was just like it was amazing. And that one, I was so frightened because, again, and I, when you said complain, don't get me wrong. I think Mark Maron really is, at the end of the day, one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Oh, I love but him. at the same time, I do realize, personally, he's one of those comedians that I have to be in a certain mindset to listen to. Because there are some days where I'm like, things are going pretty well. Listen to Mark Maron. And then I realize, wait a minute, I'm upset for some reason. Yep. Like, He's really great at getting you kind of like to feel, you know, what it's like to be Mark. And not for nothing, though, the fact that he gets that response at all, elicits that response, means he's doing his job. And, you know, there you've heard stories about people walking off his show or maybe it's gotten really tense at times. Of Gallagher. You know, <laughs> That's a good oh, one. Well, see, Gallagher is a total asshole anyway. Yeah. Read any interview from him. He is such a scumbag. But Mark does what I can't do. I'm too afraid of concentration. I could never, ever, ever get to that point. I would, if ever even got to that point, I would not even air the episode. I'm, I'm so much more of a Chris Hardwick, like dance around, not dance around, but I just don't get deep on here. Like Pete Holmes does this thing where he talks to people. I'm like, how do you think of these things? Like in my head, I want to talk to people like that, but I'm like, I, I can't. I, it's hard getting myself to that point. It's gonna take years to be like that. Yeah, I guess you really have to know yourself, and believe me, I, I have that feeling sometimes, too, because I've had people on my show, and don't worry, this isn't anything like that, so anyone who's listening who was a guest, I'm not throwing you under the bus at all. Christ, I feel like you're like really just pulling it back. But I, I like, some... but I like behind-the-curtain stuff. That's like, I like, I, I, I will go on YouTube and watch, like, behind-the-scenes of my favorite show more often than my show. But there are so many times where uh, a guest will make a comment on something. And part of me really kind of like, you know what, this is good stuff. I want to dig into that. But then it's kind of like, you know what, it's that gamble because if you didn't decide to pursue that avenue, either your guess is going to be really great and go with it, or then you start thinking of other it is, 
what if this is a touchy subject and there's a reason why they didn't go further into it? Yes, and I'm like, what if my mom hears it? My mom will probably right. hear this. My mom will definitely hear this. My dad will definitely hear this. They're definitely gonna listen to this one. And like, and I think, and I think about that. Like, what if my boss hears it? Like, you know what I mean? I can't do anything where like, and maybe there's a freedom if this is your job, job, or like you're a comedian or something where you can just say whatever you want. But I'm like, at the end of the day, in a weird way, I can't, I still represent a company that I work for that. Not that anyone could listen to it, but they they could go back. I've had one issue where someone said something that uh, someone didn't like, and I got a not nice message and asked to remove it. And then I was glad to do it, but like it made me really think differently. I was like, I don't know how much I share about myself on here. Right, and that's the thing because there's still that consequence of, and that's something that um, when I had uh, Jimmy Lee Chase on, the comedian. That was something that, you know, he was very cognizant of. And then, of course, listening to his show, History of Comedy, where, yes, comedians especially are notorious for, you know, just being basically, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but most of them have a tendency to just sort of just say, you know, what's on their minds. And I, I like that dude a lot, too, by the way. That was a great episode. Oh, he's, he's great. So shout out to you know, Jimmy. Yeah, I really want to get him on here. I'm going to have to ask him on. I really like him. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's great. He's a really great guy. But you know what I mean? Like, there's that that feeling of yes, you can say whatever you want, and you can maybe push a button, but the consequences are, you know, can can be pretty dire if it goes south. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I love my show, and you definitely want to get content that's going to be different from everybody else's. But maybe it's not a good idea to make this dick joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You know, when it comes to that whole issue in comedy and PC stuff, I actually tend, I think people are surprised to hear, I'm actually on the side of people being more PC than not. I'm actually one of those people. But that whole issue with, uh, so this is like, we're in July right now when, when this airs. It just, I think, came out yesterday or two days ago. Some reporter from somewhere made that huge argument against Amy Schumer for being a racist and tried to say that Dylan Roof happened because of her. And then it came out that she's never seen any of her fucking work. And listen, I am one of those people who, like, I am pro-PC culture. Uh, like, I disagree with Jerry Seinfeld and that whole bullshit. And I thought that was, like, this woman is just looking for fake outrage. You son of a bitch. And I love Amy Schumer. You know, I she believe is awesome. anything could be funny and absolutely can be. And you should be able to say whatever you want. But just when someone reacts to something that you've done, like when people say you should say whatever you want, then like, yeah, you could be an asshole all you want. But if you say something racist, homophobic or misogynistic, you better expect a backlash because that shit is fucked up because you've right. probably never been on the receiving end of any of that, those things. And much like that episode of History Comedy, um, I don't know if you listened to the episode of uh, The Rant. No, I, no, I'm going to have to go back. Oh, this one is, oh, this is, if you listen to any episode of History Comedy, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm just kind of like kissing ass now, but it was just, it was. The perfect example we're fan, because we're fan. it's just fun to talk about things fan. you're fans about. Um, I'm you know I don't I don't know the the whole incident because of course obviously I'm gonna leave that to him but basically there was a uh, a performance and I guess the comedian uh, made some jokes that were you know I guess the you know the off color jokes as comedians are are one to do but it was not funny and it bombed and it. Bound to the point where, of course, not only was it not funny, it was also insanely offensive. Oh, and so that's the um, Jimmy, take. and Jimmy just like, I mean, he unleashed this, and it was mostly true. Like he he really had some great points about as far as you know comedy, which I think can also be 
expand it to real life where, yes, you can say whatever the hell you want. Like, like I can, I can really just spend the next five minutes throwing out slurs and whatever I want to say. Because as a human being, I have that right or whatever. But that does not mean you're free from any sort of repercussions. So if both of us get angry tweets saying, oh, hey, Adrian was on, uh, let's chat. And he, you know, he used all these, you know, hateful uh, slurs and everything. That's going to come back on you. It's going to come back on me. And we're probably going to be in a world of shit for it. Yeah. And that's the thing, because it's like it's not. If you're go- if you're going to be one of those comedians or one of those personalities on a podcast or stand up, and you're going to have that sort of lack of filter, you've got to be interesting. And I think that's why Obama got in so much trouble for what he said. And the funny thing is, the context, oh, and that's God. what people don't realize the context, and that's really what it's all about. And but that speech he made about when he when he's used the racial racial slur, the thing he said was so fucking beautiful. But I do believe that is that outrage culture, right? That's that little bit of media just trying to make a big deal out of nothing. Like what he said was so beautiful and so complex and really changed the way I view race in America. But of course, everyone focused on that he said the n word. And, and that's like, the thing. Like, how did you not? How did you miss the rest of that? Yeah, and I think it's the same thing with that woman with Amy Schumer. It's just like, let's. Uh, Let's focus on one part and piss everyone off. And let's just pretend we're mad about this. Like, listen, when Amy Schumer, her jokes were inappropriate and racist that they were in reference to. She's come out and apologized, and she's playing in character, blah, 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 blah. But how can you not know her work, right? Like, <laughs> Amy Schumer's like, a if, fucking genius. If Sarah Silverman was popular five years later, she oh probably God. would have never had a career. Absolutely. And that's true. And but I also think it's like a level of skill to get that point in comedian in comedy, right? To like be the asshole. Like was it was it Ta- Anthony Jeselnik or Tosh Daniel Tosh oh. who made those rape jokes? It was I think that was well, you're talking about that big incident, right? I think that was Tosh. Yeah. And but then that's the other thing, it's like cameras, right? This is a isolated instance where he was a douchebag that happened to get recorded. Yeah, and especially with comedians, I feel that and if you're going to make a rape joke, dude, go ahead, but make it funny and make it not at the at the victim's expense. And if you're going to make fun of the victim, you have to be a very, very, very talented community comedian to make it funny. Like, that's your job to make something that's horrible funny. That's not my job. I, I'm the one who pays you for that shit. <laughs> right. And it's, it's such a slippery slope because I personally have come to realize, and, and this is tough because having started... Um, Adrian has issues more so than Adrian and Atlas because I guess it was a different story, it was a different dynamic. But now, being an interview show, I now of course am that more much more tuned into what's going on with everybody else. And you know, I have like a lot of friends who were like a part of like a Twitter group. What shout out to them? Like we actually just talk comics throughout the day um, through direct message, and you get these stories about so many things that have gone on in comics or. Maybe there's a, um, a book, um, Airboy, I think through Image Comics, where the, um, I guess the character, I guess the writer, he kind of put himself into the book, or I guess it's sort of like a version of him as a struggling writer. And there was these comments made, I guess, where his character is basically he paints himself out to be this really terrible person and not very likable. But with that said, I guess there was some terminology used that was very, that was considered very transphobic. And there was a lot of backlash to that. Like, I guess a lot of the, the language was ugly, and 
while I ne- wasn't necessarily defending what he said, I wasn't ne- I wasn't coming against him either because I've come to realize as much as it's terrible when you have comedians or people in entertainment or whatever who say terrible things, whether it's meant that as a joke or not, there's always that weird part of me too where I'm not of the mind where I want, you know, that it needs to get, you know, someone needs to get rid of it. I kind of don't like censorship in a way. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Because I figured in that case of, let's say, the comic with Arrowboy, yes, there was something terrible that happened in his book that maybe as a writer, you kind of have to know yourself a little bit that maybe this isn't the best way to go about this. But at the same time, maybe you could then use that as a, you know, use that as an educational, as an educational, uh, uh, factor. Like, for instance, I know, like, right now, of course, with race relations being what they are, um, now the argument back up is about whether or not the Confederate flag should be flown. And, you know, that debate's going on. I won't chime too much into that, but I know, what was it recently, uh, TV Land, uh, was it Nickelodeon's uh, oh, they pulled Dukes of Hazard, right? They pulled the Dukes of Hazard off TV. And I'm saying to myself, and I got upset about that. And not in the, oh, this is a classic show, this is a good show, why take it out the air? But this was one of those very sort of weird knee-jerk reaction things, like, well, maybe you don't pull the show. Yeah. But maybe you then try to educate people and saying, hey, guess what? Let's be honest, in the, the mid-70s, in the South or anywhere else, you know, things were a lot different. We've come a long way, but maybe we haven't. And this maybe serves as a reminder of the work we need to do. Like, I've never seen anybody pull off episodes of All in the Family off TV. And Archie Bunker is one of the biggest, you know, racist and bigots. And yet he's celebrated for that. Oh, yeah. Well, and I yet... Mean, I think there's a difference from... Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, because I'm like, I personally... That flag should never have been flown in front of the state house because that's the government property in the state house. TV land, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so I think that's where people go too far, right? But I think TV land was just trying to save themselves from Trump, be- like trying to jump ahead of it before anything happens. And that's where I think it goes too far, right? Like, I'm with you. That show could s- still be on TV land. I'm not watching it anyway. Like, if you wanted to, like, what was it? Looney Tunes, when they. Oh, they um, Blackface? Both- then they did blackface, and I know they had pulled some of the episodes, um, Speedy Gonzalez episodes, off of the DVDs. Until recently, I think they put them back on with the disclaimer saying, hey, uh, back in the day, uh, Warner Brothers and comedy in general was a lot different. Yeah, if you watch we... the Marx Brothers, they do that stuff. Yeah, and I love the Marx Brothers. But at the same time, you realize that unfortunately things were and can still be uh, pretty terrible in terms of what was considered funny or, or acceptable. But at least Warner Brothers had, you put the disclaimer saying, look, we don't necessarily condone this. We don't do this now, but we want to serve this as a reminder in almost a historical level. So that way I'm not a fan of whitewashing, whether it be historically or otherwise. Yes. Because taking away things that are ugly, you know, unfortunately people have a tendency to forget. And <laughs> oh, I think yeah. I, in a way, if I may, and I may be so bold, I think that's maybe what's happening now, which, Christ, this got rather deep. Um, we had this belief that, you know, things, you know, over time are just going to go away, not realizing that, hey, you know, those things have to be constantly worked at. 
so now that we're getting all these things that are offensive and whatnot, they're like, oh, how does this happen? It's 2015. I'm like, uh, no. That's... Because <laughs> it never stopped. You would just stop talking about it. And that, you know what, also with this whole thing with um, Dylan Roof and the terrible tragedy in the South Carolina, people from people like me, that's where I start to realize there's a whole evil in the internet that I never visit. It's, it's wow, yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that, but it does exist. Yeah, and I, you know, I know that. I, mean, I know that very well. I always knew that the internet is everything. It's good and bad, and I, I know it exists. But I don't go to. But that's just. It, it's like, oh yeah, I guess. Of course that. But isn't that a weird thought? Like, I never stop and thought of those types of things that these white supremacy groups or uh, any sort of extremist group was like. Well, of course they would use the internet. Why would I think they wouldn't use the internet? Not everyone just goes to Split Slider like 55 times a day in Buzzfeed like I do. There's other stuff or go out there. to or, or go to Kotaku and yell at them for writing bad articles, and yet you go every day like I do. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, you know, I'm sorry. I, it's my fault. I use the same three websites. And uh, I forget there's a whole internet out there. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's weird. As humans, though, we have such blinders on, right? I can go on the internet and do anything. But now internet's been I've been I'm so accustomed to it. I go to the same four websites every single day and then be like, Facebook, Twitter, Split Slider, BuzzFeed, sometimes Cracked, maybe a little last spin. And then I'm like, now what do I do? There's nothing yeah, to do online. If it were for Twitter, like, like I pretty much have to ask people because there'll be comments made or hashtags that'll pop up, and I have to like tweet them. I'm like, oh, so what's the what's going on in today's world? I'm like, what don't you know? I'm like, no, I was I was too busy like retweeting, you know, a, a Batman meme, you know, right? <laughs> or like right now, I'm following all the Comic Con stuff, which we're not at, and it's very upsetting. And I'm just like, what's the new thing for Bob's Burgers and Archer and Art and uh arrow and flash and the star wars stuff like i just gotta know everything i'm like there's all i'm following is like san diego comic-con and then some i guess there was an explosion at a beach in my state today and i didn't know about it Holy <laughs> <laughs> i literally is saw it on my facebook cloud, you might want to run I, I i was like i looked at facebook before we jumped on and it was like explosion at Rhode island beach and i was like crap i was literally just reading about comic-con <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oops. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing right now where I guess they finally posted another trailer for Batman vs. Superman and a Suicide Squad teaser. Suicide I'm like, Squad I'm excited for because largely because of Ike Barinholtz because I fucking love that dude. And I love when they pick a good comedic actor because then it's like, all right, they got a good sense of this. And, and Will Smith, come on. I'm scared. I hope at some point, you know what? I hope they play this like Will Smith's old school movies where like he'd always do like the music video and he'd do like the main song. Like at the end of Suicide Squad, they're all going to get together. Like Harley Quinn's going to twerk and like um, oh, Killer Cross going to start like break dancing and like spinning around and like it's, it should be great. It is safe to say the Men in Black song still holds up. I was just singing it earlier today. That's crazy. The, that first movie is so good. The third one is so terrible. The second one is okay. See, okay, uh, see now, okay, now, now I'm gonna argue a little bit. The third one I thought was actually better than the second one. Tommy Lee Jones wasn't even in it. Because he doesn't want to be. Because he's Tommy Lee Jones, and he's like, I know, but they advertise. I think I was so upset about how they advertised it. I let that kind of wash my judgment. I was like, uh-huh. he was barely in the movie. I saw it in a drive-in, so I, I, I should have to see it again. But I remember really loving the first one, and I really loved the. The the good guys dressed in black remember that rap song that I love so much. He's <laughs> like dancing with uh, the alien. Here come the man in black. Oh my god, <laughs> I, it was such a good song. 
Maybe it was terrible. I don't know. I remember because that's the thing. Like I liked. I was at that age where I was. It was supposed to hit me at that age. Right, and you're the perfect target audience. Yeah. Well, we're roughly the same age, so I'm with you on that. When I saw Independence Day, I remember like coming out of the theater thinking there are alien ships coming at me. Yes. I was like a little bit under twelve. I was like, well, we must have been what twelve, thirteen, eleven. I know I was young enough. I was on a family vacation in Vermont, and I saw on I saw you know we saw Independence Day on Fourth of July. <laughs> it was like incredible. Remember like no, I saw the the Patriot on Fourth of July weekend. Completely different story. Oh God, right? And then it just that experience will never leave me. It was so cool. So funny though, but he had um, those years. yeah, but so Suicide Squad. I'm hoping for. I'm sorry, Batman vs Superman. I'm not having strong hopes for. Nah, neither am I. I I'm kind of. Is. And I think that's kind of what's sort of interesting about it, and it's interesting as far as how hype works. Yes. Because I don't think anyone wa- and I and of course I I hate I'm never the right person to say this because I'm not a big DC guy to begin with, much less a Ben Affleck fan or a Superman. I like Ben Affleck. And I think I like DC more than I realize cuz I'm wearing a Flash t-shirt right now. Um that's uh, um well, you know what though, their TV shows are great and I like the cartoons. Yeah. I, and I love the DC card. I love the Flash card. I actually, my wife and I were talking this morning because this is what we talk about, and I think we decided that we like Marvel movies better, and then DC TV shows better, except Daredevil. For yes. Netflix, for Netflix, yeah. I think that's a pretty good. I think that's a fair assessment, and I think I agree to that. Because I love Arrow and I love Flash like a lot, and I never thought I would. I think there's something about DC as far as how their heroes are presented. Like they're very sort of very they're very still ingrained in those old like post war serials mm. that the storytelling I feel lends itself to like a TV show or like a like a radio drama or what have you like for some reason I feel like the characters are perfect for those weekly adventure type shows. Yeah, absolutely. And the Avengers would not have been a good TV show, but it's a perfect movie. Right. But, yeah, Marvel has now gained some ground because they realized, look, are the Avengers' main team, excuse me, the Avengers' main team, you're right, is not fit for a TV show. However, there's a lot of street-level characters who are super-powered beings, but yet work on a such smaller scale, like, let's say, Daredevil or, like, Luke Cage, that, hey, you can put on TV because it lends itself to, dare I say, a more realistic or more grounded approach. Like, Daredevil took place in the same universe as the Avengers, and that movie served as the basis for what was going on at Daredevil because of the whole developmental issues where now New York's up for grabs and everybody's kind of just buying a piece of property and trying to rebuild. And it's perfect for that kind of storytelling. You're not going to have Iron Man dealing with uh, real estate uh, uh, real estate battles. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's really true. I never thought of it that way. And I really like Daredevil. I thought I I really like Daredevil. I thought yeah, I just but loved it so some, much. But for some reason I think like the, the Justice League stuff would be perfect for T V. Yeah. Do you think the lever uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy, like, um what a perfect example of someone like me. I had no I I I actually I only even knew if I knew what Guardians of the Galaxy was. Like it's not my world. And I just went in there just as, like, a fan of, like, Chris Pratt, and then they just – they hooked me, right? You know what I mean? I just 
Kind of like the first J.J. Abrams Star Wars, Star Star Wars, Star Trek movie, where if you watch, I never watched the Star Wars TV show, and I love the movie. I think I I think Marvel's kind of good at that. Where like even if you weren't someone who read the comics or any of this, it's a standalone movie, and if you know more about the universe, you're just in for a treat because we got some gems for you hidden in there. Right, and that's something that you touched on because again, you're going in cold without any expectations. And I think that's kind of what's interesting about Batman versus Superman is that this storyline is lifted a lot from The Dark Knight Returns, the the graphic novel from like the eighties from Frank Miller, where Batman, you know, he's coming out of retirement and he's sort of squaring off against the well, I guess it's the Joker for, you know, one last, you know, one last throwdown. But, of course, there's interference from Superman, who at this point, Superman's basically kind of just completely granted the government. He's there to take him out. And it's a great story, at least of its time, because you have these two heroes who were always sort of rivals, but at least were longtime friends who, unfortunately, are now faced to battle. And it's this crazy moment because you're saying this. So Superman, all he has to do is just show up stab Batman in half, it's over. But Batman, being this calculated detective, finds a way to beat the Man of Steel. And it's this great, powerful moment, and it's like, this is a great story. So they're building a lot of elements from that to make this movie, I feel. But does it work without the context? Does it work without the history? I don't, and Ben Affleck, man, really? And I like Ben Affleck, but Batman, I mean, he just, Daredevil was so terrible. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see, right? Like, I think we're all that, like, I I always want a movie to be good, but there's also a part of you that wants to see a movie suck, right? At least that movie. That's a movie I, yes. <laughs> I kind of want it to be terrible. Like, I want Paul Shear's podcast, How Did This Get Made, to continue on, where movies have to be like, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, and you know a movie's got to suck, like, if they do it recently. Like, I know they just did an episode of uh, Jupiter Ascending recently, and, like, that movie just came out, like, several months ago. And it's already on how to just get me. It's great. But yeah, like Batman versus Superman, like I wanted to succeed because again, you don't want to be that guy who wants to like watch things collapse. But at least now that Ben Affleck is, you know, divorced and he has no friends. Now he can feel a little bit more like Batman. Right. And he's going to write and be in a new one too. So I guess we'll see. Oh, he's uh, great. Oh, what's up? I'm I'm glad. I'm, uh, you know, I actually remember, Something I wanted us to talk about for once. You're on 50 minutes into it. I remember why I asked you on. <laughs> Such a good host. Um, I was going to say, I, so you had uh, Jeff Beck from Eastside Mags on your show, and uh, who actually I got to yes. uh, had the I, – I totally stole him from you. I totally asked him on right after That's you. That's perfectly fine. Uh, fucking nice-ass <laughs> dude. But the I, end of your episode yeah, – what's that? He, I came into a store after you know I talked to you, and he's like – so yeah, uh, buddy, guys, uh, Chris Revel, I guess he invited me to be on his show. I was like, awesome. <laughs> so he was definitely up for it. Well, the thing I loved about that episode, because like I've gotten to meet you through like the podcast world, and I I just knew you as a, a gigantic nerd, which I'm fully respect. But the thing I loved about that episode, I found at the end, is like we also like the same music, which I had no idea that we had talked a bunch of times and never even realized that we we're both punk rock kids. I know, and it's so funny. I know we talked a little bit about it, like, on your show when I first got started, but it was funny because it's like, oh, great, I didn't realize it went even deeper, because you would not... like, listening to fucking uh, Further Seems Forever the other day. I was like, no fucking way. You like Further Seems Forever, too? 
That was my high school experience. Yep. Oh, man. Like, Like, it blew my mind. Because, like, everyone likes a little, like, it wasn't like you're like, oh, I like some 41 or Simple Plan or some, like, big pop act. You're like, that's kind of a deep cut, like, pre-dashboard, Chris Caraba. Come on. Yeah, pre-dashboard. Oh, but see, I was, oh, and this is, I was such the moody, pretentious douchebag. I mean, I still am. Don't worry. I'm not, I didn't change much. But as far as, like, music, even in high school, because I know when Chris Caraba, when Dashboard for Confessions came out, and I was the person who, when Screaming at Fidelities came out, I was like, um, first off, this song sucks compared to a solo acoustic version of this, all right? I know, me too. I was like, oh, it's no vacant Andes. I was like, oh, God, what's with these drums and this bass? No, get all that out of there. I know. I, I didn't like <laughs> Dashboard at first because it wasn't for their scene forever. I, I was such a dick, and now I love Dashboard. Like, I really do love a lot of their music. Yeah, and it's I love that. And I was a, such a huge fan of the guy that followed him, though, Jason Gleason. You did. A lot of people, I remember not liking him because I don't think I was supposed to, and then going back and be like, wow, I was wrong. <laughs> he had this amazing, powerful voice, and in a way, maybe the music, I mean, really, the guitar work in that band is what sold it. I know. I, it, I, they, were, they were really good. And from my understanding is that they're all still buds. Like, Caraba and all them are still pals, and they all live... They just don't play together a ton because, like, they all have jobs and kids. Right. Well, they did release that other... That new album together. It was the first For the Scenes Forever album with that Moon is Down lineup. Oh, I should get that. It was released... I want to say it's either 2003 2000... Uh, no, not 2003. You listen to me. Um, 2014, I think. Hold on. I'm actually going to Google it out because this is what you do on a podcast. But, um... They've grown. Like Chris Caraba's voice has actually matured a little bit, and they didn't necessarily. I'm sorry, 2012 was called Penny Black, a really good album. Oh, I should get that. But it was cool to see them older and playing, and it's like I the kid in me was just kind of like, this is great. This is exactly what I remember. Did you do the movie life? Oh, movie life. Oh, I well, maybe I shouldn't tell that story, but the movie life. The, my favorite song by them was um, "Single White Female." <laughs> I don't remember. Well, "Hand of Grenade" was popular because that was on like every like compilation. But "Single White Female," those it was a story. It was me and uh, this girl I went to. Uh, she was a friend of mine, and she was gonna be my prom date. Um, and then it turns out that well, a friend of hers also didn't have a date for her prom, so I was like, "Oh, I'll go to yours too." And then, like, we were cool, we were cool, we were great, and then all of a sudden she decided, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And I think her friend also kind of told her not to go to prom with me either. Oh, no. So when single, when I first heard Single White Female, I was like, I know exactly who this is about. <laughs> <laughs> but you're from Jersey, so I didn't even realize you had, like, the best scene in your backyard, or, or like... Between Long Island and New Jersey, that was all the music I loved was from Jersey and Long Island. Well, that's so funny because dating my girlfriend, because she's in Long Island, and, you know, we're always going back and forth about Jersey sucks or Long Island's better and vice versa. But, of course, now finding out all these great bands are from Long Island, because it's like, shit, I forgot Iron Sheik are from here. Like, I hate you. Every band I ever loved came out of, like, that era. Like, I mean, the movie life, Taking Back Sunday, brand new. Yep, yep. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of others I'm forgetting now because it's been a while, but... Even smaller bands, and, like, same with Jersey, like, everything, and, oh, my God, it's ridiculous. 
That's why I think we really need to band together because I really, really want to start like some sort of campaign to help out Jeff so that way Bouncing Souls could play at Eastside Mags. I I know so many people who know them too, but not like I don't know them. I don't I don't know them personally. I bet they would if they got some money. I heard the court tavern's closing down, which is a big bummer. I heard that the other day, and this broke my fucking heart because a lot of the bands from Jersey like That's love that spot. place. I'm so fucking bummed about that. My friend Dan was working there for a while, and like, man, what a every band I've ever loved, even up to re- recently, the Souls just played there like last year. The Gaslight Anthem got their start like Thursday, like. Every New Brunswick-based band I've ever loved saves the day. Friggin', I keep forgetting Screaming Females are from New Brunswick. I know! And, like, and, and there's, like, and to my understanding, the scene down there was actually really great, uh, most, pretty recently, too. Like, I know the Scandals came out of there, and, like, uh, it's... What's that? I'm like, oh, uh, there's so many bands, and, like, it's sad, like, I can't even name drop them because, of course, my mind blanks, but a lot of the, like, basically, if you go to... Um, go to my um to blogcopsnobbery.com, which hasn't been active for a forever though. But if you go there, and then like if you look at most of the bands, nine to ten times most of the Jersey bands have played in the Court Tavern. Yeah, it's like it's ridiculous. It's it was like a legendary venue, and I I liked it a lot because I when I was in New Brunswick, I think last Memorial Day, my my friend Dan was playing with um, oh, Nathan from Boy Sets Fires, new bit I am Harrisay. And, like, we went down to see him and, like, just hang out for the weekend. I was like, this is such a cool fucking venue. Bar upstairs, sick, awesome punk venue in the bottom that's disgusting and little, and it was perfect. And there's, like, if you're in a band, no matter what size you're in, you're going to have to talk to – your audience is going to meet you because there's no way to get to the stage without going through the bar and downstairs. And that's why I loved, loved, loved Maxwell's before it closed because it was oh that exact same vibe. Oh, my God, that place was so tight. Maxwell's was my, for 2012, 2013, and I feel bad that I didn't do it sooner, but that was my hangout at least Dude, so who twice a week. There? Like everyone okay, let's ever? See. Um, not as many people as you would think, only because I missed a lot. Well, let's see. Um, every Time I Die, I saw it there, which isn't a local band, really. But still, uh, Screaming big, Females. Well, you saw Every Time I Die at Maxwell's and you're alive. They played, okay, hold this is, I, lo- I love telling the story, but I feel like maybe I told too much, but I, you know what? Honestly, this might have to be a part two episode because I don't think we're going to shut up anytime soon. Fine with me. I got nothing to do. All right, cool. You might have to split this episode up then. Um, nah, I'll, I'll put a three episode up, hour up. I don't care. <laughs> see, I feel bad. I think if you break it up into little bits, because trust me, listening to a three hour podcast is tough. Oh, yeah, I know. But I anyway, um, this is, um, I can't remember what year this was, um, the album X Lives that just come out. And I'm looking through the list of Maxwell's site because it wasn't like the most like flashy looking website. I'm like, was it every time I every time I die? Like, are you kidding me? They're one of my favorite like hardcore bands. And this was a Saturday. It was early Saturday show. I think it was like maybe six, seven o'clock. And I'm like, I dragged my my friend at um Atlas um to go. And I'm like, okay, we got to go see these guys. And I remember sending a tweet out um from my blog page saying, I'm so excited. So every time I die, it's like in my backyard. Um, so the show it starts off and it's crazy. Like, and I'm, they're playing a lot of the new tracks at first. So I'm like, I don't know them as well. But Maxwell Stage is like small as hell. There's no real place to move in that venue, but they're just going a wall. Like they're knocking stuff over. It's crazy. 
And it's they're finally starting to play the deeper tracks. They're starting to play the really cool stuff. And then it's like, all right, guys, um, we got one last song for you. And I looked at the clock, and maybe only 40 minutes have passed. I was, I'm not going to lie, I had a few to drink, and I was angry. Because I'm like, every time a guy is playing a Maxwell's, you're a headliner. You better at least play an hour show minimum, 90 minutes minimum. If you've got at least six, seven albums, you can you can play longer than that. But they played, they packed up their stuff, and they pretty much ran out of town. So I don't know if this is one of those situations where so whoever booked them probably like didn't have much of a window, so they're like, okay, we'll get you guys in. But unfortunately, it's like once we're done, we will have to leave. But I sent them a tweet saying I was very disappointed about the uh, disappointed about the length of the show. So Keith Buckley um, tweeted me back saying, um, "Yeah, that's not what you said uh, when we first started." And it's like hashtag get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I was very angry, and I didn't listen to them for at least a good six months after that. But then I'm like, dude, I just got cursed out by Keith Buckley. He's a, I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, let's see. Who else was there? Screaming females already said. Um, I walked out of Titus Andronicus. Were they just bad? They started, like, almost an hour late, and it was such a, like, bro-y scene there. Let's see. Um, Uncle Bad Touch. The bassist thought my Guy Fox t-shirt was really awesome, and she was really cute, so I kind of played up on that a little bit. Nice. Um, what was the band out of, um, was it, Jail? With two Wells. They played their... Master Massage. Oh, I missed that show. They played there and I missed that show. Oh, uh, yeah. Who I, oh, I only shit. went there once, believe it or not, and I loved it. I'm missing, I'm missing, forgetting names of so many people. Uh, the thermals I've seen there a couple of times. I got to be Kathy Foster. Um, Weston Glass was really cool, their drummer. Um, shit, I missed it, but it was my hangout because basically it's like take the train to Hoboken, take a cab to um, Helmer's. The German restaurant across the street, down at least two tall Hefeweizens. That's enough to get me good and buzzed. And then stumble across the street and continue drinking. <laughs> I just miss that place so much. And it, it's a shame that, well, they're reopened and they're playing live music, but it's definitely not the same vibe. Different types of band. Because I went to, when Folly did the reunion shows, their first bout, when they came back and they did like five shows, they did one, one at Maxwell's. And it was like Folly and Paulson were the two. I don't know who else played. That was the only time I ever been there, and I was like, why have I never... And it was about to close. I was like, why did I never go here? <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't live anywhere near there. I also lived far away. But, but I keep forgetting, like, because um, your lady's from the area. Yeah, but she doesn't know any of this music. I mean, at all. Okay, so she doesn't even remember the Bloomfield App Cafe. Then, oh, huh? God. I mean, I, <clears throat> we, I, she, no. I mean, if she did, she went there probably to study her. Uh, hopefully she <laughs> never hears this. <laughs> yeah, she, she has... That was not her thing at all not yeah even but jersey is slowly but surely and this is sad because i feel like at least in the tri-state area local music especially in jersey is starting to kind of get its identity back but at the same time we're losing so many venues like live music unfortunately is still really kind of under that weird threat of just not being a thing yeah, it's always that like there's always the way a wave, right? Like the, there's a big op- surgeons and club openings, and they all close, and the good ones stay open. And we lose a couple great ones, and then it goes the and then it kind of comes back when they all, yeah, it just goes in waves. Like what? So what other like pop punk? Like what, did you? So you were like part of like 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 me like the, in the like the saves the day, 
uh rufio i was in love with like I'm, i really like it was awesome yeah uh fuck you were listening to something else recently i was kind of shocked but not shocked but happy to see i was like yes uh phoenix the tx phoenix. oh phoenix tx and the thing is and this is so fucked up i hate hate hated phoenix tx when they first got popular me too because that stupid mtv movie about sex Oh, what was it called? Jailbait. It was yeah, Jailbait. and it was like, and that that one song got so overplayed. And actually, it's been because of Spotify playlist. I found a drive-through record Spotify playlist, and I've been listening to a ton of Phoenix TX. They're so great because I only knew that one song. Cause everything's my fault. That one. Yeah, that was it. And I and the thing is, because I'm getting on aside from being played out, I still remember when they were called River Phoenix and had to change their name. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, they were. Their name was River Phoenix, <laughs> um, but it was um, how was it spelled? It was because it was River and then um, F E N I X, like you know, like their names. And I guess at some point they were forced to change it, so then they became Phoenix T X. You could probably find on some of those early War Tour compilations might still be some um, River Phoenix tracks. But they they had some real. I I fucking love Drive Through Records. I think I'm okay to admit that at this point in my life. Uh, I had their DVDs. Oh, Drive Through was great. Vagrant was great. Vagrant was great. Like Vagrant was the best. From the crib, I think. Tom from Washington Emo used Victory to work Rec- there. That was like in my here. mind. He worked everywhere, but yeah, oh Victory. I was really into Victory. I had a lot of the Victory style comps. I had a lot of va- I had a lot of comps. I learned about bands yep. mostly through comps. Yes. Uh, I had the Drive Through DVD and. I you know what you know what's kind of interesting though now that I'm 30 and it's so we're talking like 10 plus years removed from this world, Senses Fail, the band that everyone gave shit to, is still it's one of the few bands that's still around. Like some of the bands I thought well. you what's that? And doing well, dude. Their new CD is amazing, amazing. It's they said they were influenced by Hope's Fall, and you're like, what? Really? It's, that's weird because it's like weren't they around at the exact same time? Yeah, because they're like, I mean, they were kids when they started, like just kids, like, right? But like, you know, I think there's like all these bands that had all the scene potential or all right, scene cred in that world. But I don't think anyone would have been sitting around being like Bayside and Census Fail are still going to be a band in 15 years, 10 years. Like, and Silverstein, like those three bands that probably got a world worn of shit were the three that we were like, now nah, we're doing this for the rest of our lives. Watch us. And I never yeah, believed there it. Were- it's so weird because there are so many of those bands that you would have thought. Well, there was a lot. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie to you. There was a lot of who I well I enjoyed. I knew once that bubble burst would not be around anymore. But it's definitely interesting to see which ones have survived and which ones haven't. Like Thursday, I thought would be around forever, but then I'm like, well, I can see now why they're not. But poor Thursday had that thing where every album they would put out, their fans would hate it, and then they would put out a new album, and then they're like, actually, we really liked the last album we said we hated. And now we hate your new album. And they got stuck in that cycle. Yeah, Thursday, and this is going to sound terrible, but I feel like they had some kind of terrible fans. Because I think yeah. there were the fans who, of course, from the, the New Brunswick days, who I think maybe always kind of resented when they got popular. Mm-hmm. It's just the victory stuff. But then, of course, when Full Collapse came out, and what was the one after that world all the time? Like, hey, they got all these great new fans. But yet... No Thursday album sounds identical to the one before it. I know, which is what you want from a band, but also you hate. It's Bands have it the worst, right? Fan, we're the worst. Fans are the worst. You can never make the same album twice unless you're the Foo Fighters. 
and then everyone hates you if you're successful, so you can't win. Yeah, and it's like I'm noticing that even I know it's not really punk though, but right now I'm noticing that a lot as far as like the Coed and Cambria stuff because their new single is a little bit of a departure from their other sound. Hell, this album doesn't even follow any sort of sci-fi concept. Like this is, I think, one of their more traditional releases, and it's and this is the thing with fandom, what kills me with music. Okay, I believe me, I can tell you tons of albums that I was not into. Um, like what was that one Save the Day? Um, the one after Stay What You Are was oh, it in Reverie? Sound the alarm. Was it Sound the alarm or whatever one even before that where Chris's voice just like Stay What You Are. Stay What You Are was the last good Save the Day album. There was one I think yeah, after that. The one after that, I think I don't know what it was called. But I, I don't know, but the sound in its voice. Left. <laughs> it was just this weird, like, I don't know what the hell it was, and it's still hard to listen to. I know. And yet, I got angry about it. Like, I took it personally. And then I realized, how many times have I done the thing that I yell at, let's say, some Coy and Cambria fans for doing with this album is, a band changes, for better or for worse, and yet you almost take it personally as if they stole something from you. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's their decision. It's their art, right? And then the weird thing is, like, I never thought of musicians trying to have a career before, so I was just like, oh, how dare you sell out? And then I'm like, now that I pay bills and live on my own, I was like, oh, oh, okay, so this is different <laughs> for you now. You, uh, you're doing this to make money. Not, I'm not saying this is a bad way, but, like, right. it's like you need to have artistic and inc- of course you can't make the same album again, because I'm going to complain about it. <laughs> God, poor bands. Yeah, and I, I thought that was a big... Save today almost could feel. I feel like they could have just started a new band. It might have been better off. Yeah, because he's still calling it Save the Day, and and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way because I feel like if a band's gonna change their sound, they at least should remain like the fundamentals should remain. Like Thursday, yes, did um they change their sound almost every album? Did I like it every time? Not really, but at the end of the day, you could still see. That progression, it still at least felt like Thursday. Yeah, they never even, turned around and made like a rap album, like so opposite of what they were. It was like, come on. Yeah, this isn't like Korn making an album of Skrillex. This isn't that. Wait, did that happen? Yes, that happened. I couldn't think of something I would want to not hear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? The Path of, uh, the Path of Totality, I think it was called. You know, a long time ago, um, I went to the show in Connecticut in like Stanford area with a bunch of friends, and we all went to the diner with some band called From First to Last. And it Holy was, shit, yeah, that's the dude, and uh, Sonny. And I remember, like, sitting across from Sonny and, like, you know, just bullshitting, nice guy. There's a picture of us together somewhere from, like, years, someone has it some years ago. Because that's what we always did. We would always go to shows and then go <laughs> to the diner with the bands because we always had all these <laughs> friends. And now I'm like, weird. So you're Skrillex? I mean, you know, and I have this hard thing, too, where I don't want to become an old person and shit on everything, because I was also listening to lots of music that older people were shitting all over, and I have to not be that person with EDM. I fucking hate it, but I'm gonna allow, I'm not going to shit on it. I fucking hate it. I think it sucks, but I, I can <laughs> shit all over it. But, like, I'm also not going to make fun of kids, like, you don't know music, and then be like, you should listen to this music and put on, like, Botch or something. I'm like, okay, maybe that's not the best example. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Everybody should listen to Botch, right? No, yeah. that's that's. <laughs> but you know, I listen to more Alkaline Trio than anyone would probably realize. <laughs> no, like, I listen to a lot of Alkaline like Trio day. too. I listen to a lot of cool Spotify playlists. Someone took all the um, uh, all the Atticus Dragon in the Lakes and put them into one big comp. 
Yeah, isn't that actually kind of how we bonded, I think, at first? Was the, yeah, um... I listen to that Spotify playlist all the fucking time. It's amazing. Fact, I'm starting to compile, and this has been a massive undertaking, and I've had some friends help me out with this. Um, I'm starting to compile a list of almost all the bands I listen to, at least starting from freshman year of high school up until, I want to say, 2005, 2006. Um, and this has been, it's been really rough trying to put this together because it's like under rows, like a Treyu, you know, it's just oh, like, oh my God. I have Atreyu's original EP. Get out of here. I fucking saw them open up for... It was them. Uh, no, I went, it was Snapcase, Boy Sets Fire, and Atreyu, and this other band called Time in Malta. And um, I don't know why I ended Wait, up buying I'm sorry, their EP. Snapcase and Boy Sets Fire? Holy shit, that's a lineup. It was a tour. It came to Connecticut, and it came to the Webster. I remember like buy, having my parents like drive me to Strawberries, which no longer exists, to buy my tickets. Because I was, t- I was like, oh, Boy Sets Fire is coming to the Webster. It's going to sell out. And I was ticket number 74. I was like, oh, my God, this is great. We got to the show and no, my friends, and we were like, this is like, we were obsessed with Boy Sets Fire. We got to see him live. Nobody was there. I mean, like, nobody. I think there might have been like 100 people in a, a 1,200 cap venue. <laughs> it was amazing. That's and crazy. Atreyu, I remember not liking them until I saw them live. They yeah, Atreyu is those- so good. And Those first of... few EPs are like, oh my god, voice that's fire. Uh, dude, the first Treyu EP, some of those songs turn into Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses. And I, I still love that album, actually. And I don't know if I heard that album today if I would like it, but I because I had this nostalgia to it, I still listen to it. And the curse. Some of those really songs good. hold up. Yeah, oh, that whole album. Oh. It just reminds me of a time in my life that I'll, I'll love that album the rest of my life. The like, curse. Holy shit, the curse is still. It's a good album. You know, I think. I think as far as a lot of the scenes, metalcore from, like, the mid-2000s, I think The Curse was probably, like, it is going to sound really douchey to say, but I feel like that kind of was one of the albums that definitely was, like, the pinnacle of that scene. Because once that album came out, a lot of the bands were trying to ape that, you know, and bring back a lot of, like, the 80s, you know, metal riffs and whatnot, and it just was not, it wasn't vibing. I think and that even was the pinnacle of pop and metal in one me- in one song. That sleeping on the right side of the bed tonight. Yes. <laughs> or their Bon Jovi cover. <laughs> oh, and uh, I I remember hearing that, and I was like, it was great. And I was like, this is not really because I thought they were gonna play it normally. Because again, they were all good singers and performers. Oh, so I dude, thought they yeah. were just gonna make. It, but then it's like, then it goes into like this like breakdown in the middle, and I'm like, I'm guessing I'm supposed to be starting like a pit here, but. It completely just threw off the song. Oh, God. Do you remember Finch and how much... I don't know about you, but I love that first album so much, and that second album was just such garbage. Oh, I... Oh, <laughs> uh, what it is, The Burn was great. I love... Still listen to it. I, still, I still love every 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 song on that album, and then I, I hear the next one, I was like, ew. And I, I went back to that one. That, was, that wasn't a product of age. That was really just garbage. Uh, oh, what was it called? Say hello to sunshine. That <laughs> something was about that was no, that bad. was betray you. Uh, something about the bird and the worm. Oh wait, no, I think it was say hello to sunshine. I think that was okay. Fresh. Yeah, yeah, it was just really fucking. But what it is, the bird is so tight. That song they have with Daryl from Glassstraw like makes me fucking get the chills when I listen to it. And where the hell is my Glassstraw? Like. You know what's weird? Glassdraw, I feel I've I made some I tried to make some funny jokes that didn't work, but I was like, 
to me glass straw is like uh is like cheese it's better with age and no and it wasn't very funny but like i did not like glass straw at all until i got older i think it's because i hated glass straw's fan base Glassdraw has a shitty fan base. They're just the broiest hardcore dudes you've ever met who also I like sh- rap. I shouldn't say that because I met a lot of great people who are Glassdraw fans. So I should Yeah, the, the I'm nerdy sorry, emo kid, that. The, the nerdy emo kid who has the GG shirt is okay, but the fucking frat boy who like Glassdraw can go fuck himself. I'm thinking Absolutely. of two very specific people right now. I should I'm sorry. <laughs> throwing shade, throwing shade. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and then I saw them once, and they were really terrible live. But it was also like, it was a, our radio station in Connecticut used to do these things called Five Bands for Five Bucks, and they they opened up for Simple Plan, so maybe it wasn't their crowd. Wow! What the no? What? Yeah, they, Wait! Was, time out! Time out! Glassdraw had been doing that before Simple Plan was even a thing. Yeah, our radio station it was kind of cool in theory, where they they take five bands that don't make sense and put them on a venue and be five bucks. And it was like Simple Plan, Glass Draw, Raw, and then two other local bands. Remember that band Raw? I remember Raw. Yeah. Was, so, yeah. And for five, it was cool. One of the times we went, um, we got to see Brand New play with Maroon Five. Oh, that this is not. Oh, how are there not riots there? But it was five. It was five dollar radio station show, so it wasn't. It was like just the run-of-the-mill people who don't go to concerts. It was just five but bucks. But even so, any musician knows that. And no, no disrespect to Simple Plan, because I did listen to them, too. But yeah. Glass Draw would totally they were be the not, headline. They did not fit the venue. They just did not want to be there, you could tell. It just did not work. I, I respect that, though, because I love when shows don't mix and match, but it was just such a... You could totally tell someone who worked at radio station got a win in and was like, we're going to expose someone to some good fucking music, they like it or not. <laughs> Right, so you know what? At least there, there's a win there. But the Glass Straw, like they're the few times I've seen them live have been some of the best concerts I've ever been to. How can they exist as a band like financially? Because they play so little. Like I always but, just wonder how Daryl like, has money. He's it's weird. Like I mean, he's involved in so many projects. I know he did another electronica based kind of EDM based kind of thing. Um, it wasn't Head Automatica, which uh. Loved Head Automatica. Oh, you did? Okay. I, I'm not going to lie. There were a couple of tracks off that first album that I really baby. did like. Oh, that was not... Not your song? Them, no. That's the one that... That was the one that almost made me like hate them forever. That's and the I one did for at least a good five them. years. It's funny how one song could have make you have two people with such... We have similar tastes, but have such visceral rea- opposite reactions. I, I, you know, I, I was the I was the angsty uh, glass draw kid. You know, well, what, like, all my friends always got mad now. at me because of my love of pop. I always loved pop music. Like we would go to like these hardcore punk shows and see all these like bands like from like like just you know no name bands. I think one of them was well, not even that big, but and you see this like fucking fast heavy music, and I would get in the car and drive home and listen to Queen and Hall and Oates. Unironically, oh, see, I love Queen and Hall and Oates though. That's I my know. shit. I just. I love Newfound Glory. I love like really poppy music, and I still listen to like really poppy music all the time. But I love Newfound Glory though because I know we're like jumping all over the place. Yeah, but that's usually how the show works. They're they're pop punk, but yet they have these great roots in hardcore because well, yeah, of course. Um, and Shahalud. Yep, and um, yeah, one of the a bunch of them were hardcore bands. And, Isn't that cool oh my too? god? Like, the thing with Steve. Like, because when I by the time I found Newfound Glory, they were already like godfathers of pop punk. And now, the emo revival, you would call it, 
10 years after like so they're 10 years after I had found them when they had already been a band. I think they've been a band almost 20 years now and they're still around and still killing it and putting out great new music and like doing tours of varying sizes of headlining shows to opening for Paramore to like everything. Yeah, that last album, I can't remember what it's called because I'm bad with the newer album titles, but um there's still some really kind of awesome like kind of hardcore hooks on there. Like if if Chad were doing vocals instead of uh what the hell's his name now? I can't remember the long Jordan. Jordan. If, if Chad was doing it would still be like the sick of hardcore album. <laughs> Cuz they yeah. sound like a melodic hardcore band with clean vocals. I love Jordan's voice. You know what? I think I forgot who I was talking to the, about this, but there's this. I think we're having this. There's this fun theory that no drummer in any band looks like they belong in a band. And have you ever seen the drummer in Newfound Glory? He just doesn't even look like he likes the music he's playing. I mean, he definitely does, but he, no drummer ever looks like the band. They're just like for the longest time. I seriously thought he was like Jordan's like younger brother. Like Cyrus, yeah, he's just like this tall, kind of awkward dude. They're all in like tattoos and like band T-shirts, and he just shows up in like a polo and like. Hey guys! Oh, I was at a wedding. That's right. I was talking to Anthony from Folly because he never looked like he belonged in his band, and he would tell me these <laughs> really. He had like funny stories of people in venues not letting him in because they didn't know he would be in the band. He would be in like a sweater or like a polo and have like a Candiria shirt underneath, and but he would just be like a really preppy looking dude in like Folly, and it's so funny. Oh man, I wish you had been to that one last draw show where the um the coloring book EP. I don't know if you've heard that one. No, I'm not a big big glass draw fan. I like them. Well, this one this album was cool because they kind of pulled like a what Deftones did years ago, where yes, they played heavy music, but they realized okay, we want to make something a little bit more mood oriented. And the first glass draw show I ever went to was pretty varied in its setlist. It played old new. Deep cuts, so on and so forth. But the album release show for the Coloring Book EP, all they did, the entire set list was played off of um, that second album. I can't remember the Worship and Tribute. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, that's when I found them. I came in after Everything You Want to Know About Silence. But that album, to tell you the truth, does not age well. I'm sorry. I love Glass Draw, oh, but the Silence album. Yeah. Well, Rai Rai's definite, song will always hold up. That song holds up. Um, I always like Radio Cambodia or something like that. I think that was Worship and Tribute. That's a good fucking song. That's a great song. But that first album is definitely like the angry young kid thing, and it's like you could tell by the second album that really wasn't them as much. Ape Demois, I like that song. That was cool, but it's so funny. Like that second that album release show, you could tell it was all the douchey bros in the crowd. Like I stood next to the sound booth. I was tired of getting kicked in the face. But these guys, all I noticed, they're screaming everything off of the first album. Like, we want to hear this, we want to hear that. So the whole night they were angry and they started moshing harder because they weren't hearing the songs they wanted. So I think they played, what was it, Siberian Kiss off of that first album. They went nuts. So, of course, the band's coming back and it's like, all right, so come to the encore. I heard the kids talking saying, oh, they're probably going to play all the old stuff for the encore. The whole encore was comprised of the tracks off of the EP, <laughs> which all sounds like stuff you would hear off of, like let's say, like White Pony. Like it's all very like electronic, you know, very heavy bass, mood music, you know. It's kind of like um like harder chill wave. 
and the mosh pit was confused. The lights, <laughs> I guess they had a uh, whoever was doing lighting would occasionally shine a light on him, and the guy was bewildered because occasionally they would try to mosh, but then they physically could not, they could not find a way to mosh to this music. Everybody in the crowd swaying back and forth. People have got lighters out. You know, of course, people are starting to toke up and everything. And this is great vibe in the crowd. Really chill, really just awesome mood music. And I can't remember the name of the basses, but they were really just pushing the speed to the maximum. What the middle of the floor. Uh, this was Starland Ballroom. Oh, I like that place. And the middle of the floor eventually emptied out because all of the bros, the moshing bros, left. Two songs in. Greatest night of my life. That's pretty amazing. Did you ever, because you know Daryl did that whole like hip-hop crew stuff. Did, were you ever into that world? No. Tainted Truth that it's weird. I keep hearing about it, and I'm almost afraid to listen to it. Because like, there's a couple of those guys were from Connecticut when I was still living in Connecticut. This was right before I, probably I was like 24, 23, and I, I wasn't really into it. I had a friend who was into it, so I knew a couple of the dudes that were in it. They were all old hardcore dudes turned rappers. So, like, Cage was one of them. It was, like, Ben Grimm and Timmy Wiggins from, from Connecticut. But then um, they were good friends, of course, with Daryl. And I never met Daryl, but I had – there was a couple of times where I was supposed to go somewhere. And being lazy, I didn't go and then find out he'd be there. And my friend Selena would hang out with him all night. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I think Shia LaBeouf would be there so, so, too. Cause they, oh, God. Cause so, in other words, Cage. you could have – you could have taken him out. That's like the guy who goes back in time and doesn't kill Hitler. Like, you could have stopped him. I went back in time and killed Shia LaBeouf instead of Hitler. <laughs> or just, or not necessarily kill him, but at least convince him to go on a completely different path. Like, maybe you don't want to plagiarize people. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a character. He really is a character. Like, in a bad way, too. <laughs> a bad character. It's just so funny. I, I, man, I was so. I love ska. Were you a ska fan? I was definitely into ska, but I, I was definitely the kid who was into like the popular ska. Yeah. Like me I think too. you know, you're real big fish. You know, yeah. um, say yeah. fair. Catch. Um. Catch twenty two. Street Manifesto. Catch twenty two. Big D in the kids table. Oh, mustard plug is my shit. I love mustard yeah, plug. Yeah, I've always more of a poppy ska, third wave. I never liked first second wave ska. So like, I wasn't uh, listening to like the toasters or anything. I did like Slapstick though. Slapstick was cool. I don't know if I know them. Uh, Slapstick. Uh, what's the name from Alkaline Trio? They played with them. The band um, from the Chicago, band? where everyone in the band got huge afterwards. Oh, um, it's like the... from the guy from Alkaline Trio, and then a bunch of other yep. bands. Yeah, Slapstick was what was great. They yeah. were pretty cool. There's a good Chicago but... scene too. I mean, Rise Against and Fall Out Boy were the or from, like, the same town or some shit. Or Pete and Tim used to play in a band together. That's right. Oh, and uh, I'm still depressed about what happened to them. Fall Boy or Rise Against? Both. <laughs> I still really like Rise Against. Rise Against angers me not because of anything musically, like with Fall Out Boy, but they were always that band who was, you know, you go to the shows and you see the stuff from PETA and all these other organizations. Yeah. And it was, it was you know, I... I, I could take it or leave it, but they were always really into the fans. Shows were pretty cheap, but you could tell it seemed like as me, because my best friend, he's a huge fan. Oh, you met Will, of course. Um, he's, he's a huge Rise Against fan. And it seemed like every time we were going to shows, like the crowds would get younger. Oh, uh, that's not the band. That's you, man. 
And again, I realized that is me, but what's happening was, and again, going back to the whole band making money thing, like maybe it wasn't them, it was the promoter, but they were going to play Wilmot Theater, which is now five minutes from me, maybe 10 because I'm slow. Um, oh, I, I've, I've never been in there, but I've heard it's amazing. It's a good venue. Um, but the thing is, the tickets were like $80. Yeah, it's probably not even them at that point. But it does not suck, too, when you want to go to that and you're like, ugh. Yeah, but I'm like, I think about other bands who I go see. Like, let's say, like, in a case of Coheed, where when they played Radio City Music Hall, which is a pretty expensive venue, tickets were still reasonable. And I'm like, I get it. You're a band, you're popular, you got promoters who are maybe charging more of a premium. Like, you got to find a way to cut your costs down because it's cost yeah. of You're pricing people out of the market. And I think that's kind of what's killing live music because. It used to be you go see a show, eight dollars, ten at that, see like, you know, six bands a night. Some of them would be terrible, some of them would be good. You know, the ratio was always off, but you got to at least hear live music without paying a lot of money. But oh, then you go to like a bigger venue and it's like I don't even really go to shows like I used to. It's like, okay, I'm gonna spend forty bucks or more and maybe have a good time, and it's just but then, if you're cutting paying lower than that, most of the smaller venues can't afford like to pay their friggin' rent, and then those places get closed down. It's so sad. I know. Did you? Did Jeff tell you that? Uh, fucking Claud- is it Claudio of Coheed went into his store. Yeah, he told me that in the show, and there was this weird twinge of I almost fanboyed out, but then I got very upset. I'm like, why the fuck did anybody tell me about this? Oh my god. I I I uh that. I liked his shop though. I ended up go, end up being there like two days after I interviewed him, and then I walked out of Raymond's and like turned a corner, and it was right there. <laughs> oh, dude! I was gonna say if you're in the area, like I, I quite, I quite literally lived down the street. I would have like uh, stopped I know. by. I, I was just telling Victoria, like, cause she like, I guess she, you have a bunch of mutual friends of hers, apparently. Wait, what? Really? Hold, I don't know if we want to put this on the show. I don't know if you want to throw names out though, but I want to. The... I went to high school with her for like four years. Oh, so she probably didn't go to the school my wife went to. Oh, your wife went to Bloomfield High? No, St. Dominic's Academy. Oh, no, she went to the same high school I went to, DePaul, which was in Wayne, but I know she's from the area. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but you'll never guess who's on Vagrant Record. Who? Just, just I want you to make one guess because it's going to be wrong, but I just, wanted, I just want you to hear this. I have a clue. Janet Jackson. No. I was going on Vagrant's website because I was like, I wonder if they have all the list of the old bands. I'm looking this up right now. Janet Jackson's on Vagrant Records now, and so is Louis C.K., but I mean, Rogue Wave is still there, P.J. Harvey. Wait, Janet? Like, Jan- the Janet Jackson. How can that happen? Who? I don't know, but the 1975 is also on Vagrant, so. When did Vagrant get that big? I don't know. <laughs> Who are they owned by now? I, I don't know. I haven't heard of Vagrant since fucking, like, honestly, I wasn't rocking Vagrant until, like, Rocket for the Crypt was still around. Yeah. I don't actually. <laughs> all right. Well, now that I'm looking at their website, it kind of makes sense they're on there because I don't know any of these artists. That's so funny. Maybe they got bought out by Sony. I thought they went under. I think maybe they did and maybe they got bought. I'll have to look Wait, into that. Is this that. the same Vagrant Records that we listen to? This has to be, right? No. Like, there's no way. It can't 
No. But when you type in when you type in Vagrant Records, that's what comes. I know. Up. Well, Edward Sharp, the Magnetic Zeros, Cruiser, and then I don't see any alumni. It very well could be that it just got merged into Sony or. Oh uh, well, BMG owns them now. I don't uh, know if they ever. I don't know if that was the case always, but yeah, I thought because I always. I, when we're done with this, I'm gonna do some Wikipedia. Like Janet Jackson's on the same label that once had Face to Face and Emmanuel. That can't be right. And No Motive. Oh my God, the New Amsterdam's. Holy shit, Matt Pryor. He's this is all this. Still on there. Vagrant. I was. Vagrant was that label I was into just as I was getting out of high school, where it's like I was starting to lean more towards like a lot of indie rock. Like at least that sound. Yeah, you're right. BMG in 2014. Oh, never mind then. But yeah, that's so funny that like it's the same vagrant. Yeah, you're right. We're you're right. Well, going back to what you were saying before, it's so funny because I remember when we first started talking. Because just to retell that story, you kind of sort of came out of the blue because it was a matter of oh hey, uh, I need someone for a guest tonight. Anyone want to you know stop by on the, on the fly? You're like oh I'll, I'll show up. And it turns out like you knew more about Jersey than I thought you did. Yeah. And... <laughs> what a weird thing to know about, right? And of course now it turns out I guess it's kind of understandable now that your wife being from the area that she knows a lot of people I know and I was like, holy crap, that's yeah. funny. And oddly enough, I had gone, I actually knew a ton about Jersey before I met her. I uh, had worked at this camp in upstate New York, or New Jersey, and like Warwick, New York, so it was right next to Vernon, New Jersey, and yep. all of my friends from there were from North Jersey, so I would just hang out with them all the time. And then I fell in love with Folly, and then we would always drive down to go see their shows down in uh, Jersey. And we would meet people and go back. There's this guy, Zach, we became friends with. He went to Quinnipiac, and he was in some band called Not For Resale. And then we would, like, go Wait, see shows. you know his last name? Or maybe we shouldn't say it on the air. We could, like, beep it out or something. I but... can find it. Hi, Victoria. Uh, z- fuck. I can find it because I think we're still Facebook friends. Okay, that's funny because I'm like, what are the odds that... Oh man, I feel like I talked you off so much about music though. I'm like, I haven't even like scratched the surface of half the bands. You know, I can't even find. I guess we're not Facebook fans anymore. Oh, that's depressing. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fun. Like, damn it! I feel like I just ruined something. We uh, had a thing I, I think going. I deleted him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's been wow, so Kofax, Monine. Sorry, I'm going through the oh, Vagrant Records former lineup. Another year in the streets for some of my favorite comps. Yes, the bled. Oh, that's a little bit later. The bled, yeah. Automatic Seven was on Vagrant. I don't know who they are. Automatic Seven. This is a band. Um, there used to be a music store up Bloomfield Ave, a couple of blocks from the Wellmont. Um, these, because usually nine to ten times, I would just walk up and down the street. Like my dad would give me like twenty bucks, whatever. But there was a music store that sold like instruments and you know CDs and whatnot. But hey, Victoria. We were there. The day I went to Eastside Mags was the day that Colbert was filming comedians in cars getting coffee with uh, Seinfeld. I know everything was going on. You were there. Seinfeld's in my area, and I'm like, damn. Like, I think we were there for literally 30. I don't know what we were doing the next day. We were. I don't even know why we were there. I think we were going somewhere else. I have no idea. In other words, it was like, all right, um, we'll we'll stop here real quick. It's like, all right, let's get the hell out of here. But I loved Eastside Mags. Like, I actually really liked Montclair. I found out. I never really knew much about that town, but. God, and Jeff was so nice. Too. He wasn't kidding. When you walk in that store, someone says hi to you. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not used to that in my comic book stores. Well, I used to have a really cool one in Bloomfield, but it closed, but then I moved and, well, became um, a little bit broker, so I didn't really go in there a lot. 
but he's it's a great shop. And he's got a lot of bands coming into that. Saw, there. A lot of local comedy and he um I brought my brother in laws in there too, so they were I'm like, here, here's some business <laughs> because uh they like their comic books. Yeah, he's got a great shop and I definitely love that it's definitely more community based than a lot of stores. Yeah. I, I, what a what a nice guy! Like just what a nice ass dude. I don't think he knew what a po- much about podcasting beforehand, but I think that he might now. I, yeah, and that's the thing because he's like I think he had only maybe done one before, if that. Yeah, but it I was um he... epic dudes who uh, Brian and Ronnie who I, I actually ended up me and Brian used to go to folly shows together, so it was like well, that weird small world. This is yeah, like what the hell? Like let me find out. Like Rhode Island's like this weird bridge what? to New Jersey. I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Connecticut, so like uh, yeah, I grew right. up in Central Connecticut. So like my I was part of the Connecticut scene, so not Rhode Island at all. I don't know any of the Rhode Island world. So yeah, and then uh, just because of going to Hope with Heart, I would just meet all these people from North Jersey, and then always just I, I love that area. I made a lot of friends and always drive down there for concerts. And like I, cause that's how I actually ended up meeting John from Dead Bars. He was in a band called. Red Light Green Light at the time, and then they, I ended up met, I met them at a, at a after party at the Houston Calls house, who was a, dr- a great drive-through band that kind of got shit. Oh, all over. Houston Calls, yeah, they they unfortunately did not have a good going. They did not have a good second album. <laughs> no. I liked it, but it was it was just too Green Day. Uh, I actually, I still want to get them on. Actually, this is so creepy. I ended up. Someone on Facebook I know uh, liked a comment or some shit and showed up, and it was Richard Rains and the dude who ran Drive Through Records. And now I re- I don't know. I'm get too the af- hell out! I'm too afraid to ask him on the show, so I'm trying to ask the guy I know if I could get his if it's okay to email him. Like that's like my pipe dream to have him on. I would say, I mean personally, I would definitely go for the direct approach if possible, unless you think that he would be a better conduit because I just want to see like if it's okay to ask someone directly on Facebook, like instead like, hey, so and so, I'm I, I want to get permission to be like, is he have an email? Is it okay to ask? Like you know this person, is it okay to ask? <laughs> well, I would say this then, and of course I love him giving me these tips. I would definitely be like, well. If you if you can approach that way, that's one thing. But I would definitely just go like to the email and kind of make it formal. I want to do email because the Facebook sucks because we're not friends, so he won't get that message. He goes into that other box that no one ever looks at, and then one day you Absolutely. have thirty messages you never knew existed. Does that happen? It's happened to me more than once. I actually missed out on a couple of guests because we were both trying to communicate with each other, and we weren't Facebook friends, and we never got each other's messages. <laughs> That's so funny. That's kind of funny, yeah. God, I loved drive through. I loved Victory up until you find out how terrible they were. Yeah, what is the guy? Was it Steve Vermel or something like that, or Tony Vermel? Tony, yeah, Tony, Tony Victory. Tony, yeah, and it's like almost every big um, Victory band, they all left through the lawsuits. It, Taking back Sunday had a bad one, or Trey you did, and matter of fact, or Trey you got. Yeah, oh yeah, theirs was really bad. Hawthorne Heights, like they would just ruin bands. There was a band and, from Connecticut we loved called With Honor. They're like a really posy hardcore band. And yes, they were badass. Oh, they're from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, Central. Or I forgot what part. I think Manchester. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a band. That was like my every Sunday was seeing With Honor. Like I, nicest gentleman in the world. Great band. And then they go on Victory and made the Victor. The the rumor mill was that their producer or Victory signed them and made them have a sound that they didn't have. 
Like, they were trying to get something out of them. And they made a terrible album. And they openly admitted it. It was, like, a fucking god-awful album. Because they had no creative control. That was the rumor. I don't know if that was actually true. Well, that's a rumor that pops up a lot. And, again, this is all speculative. I don't know if this is the case. But I heard that there were some similar rumors that happened with the You Because, of course, The Curse was, like, one of the most popular albums of its time. So, I think they were contractually obligated for one more album. But, of course, they wanted them to kind of just remake The Curse. Yeah. And musically, they were wanted to go in a different direction, because I know eventually they signed the Hollywood Records, and they became more of a kind of like a Breaking Benjamin kind of hard rock band. But they weren't really doing a lot of the metalcore stuff as much, but they pretty much cranked out an album which had no press. They had, like, some making of DVD that nobody watched. Oh, God, that's the one like... that had, like, a cartoon was the cover. It didn't look like an Atreyu album. You didn't know it came out. Was that theirs? Yeah, yeah. I, there was, and, that's right, because was that, that was the best of that. That was, I think, the last straw. And it looked Victory, like a never-ending story cover, and you had no idea it was Natreyu. I didn't know it existed. I walked by it once in Best Buy, and I was like, "Oh." I don't think they publicly endorse it. Yeah, I don't even know what happened to it. I wonder if you could find it anywhere. I'm sure you could. Of course you could. I'm sure. But I'm yeah, Victory to. has ruined a lot of bands, and thankfully some of them have kept going. Yeah, some bands. But, like, yeah, I guess some bands had different experiences, but yeah, I listened to I think John Nolan. It was it John Nolan. It was either on Matt Pryor's podcast or going off track, and was talking about like the amount of the lawsuits they had. Like there was a lawsuit when he started Straylight Run that, like they make you sign these contracts that they own any band that you're a part. If you're in the band and any side projects that would be assigned would branch out, they would own. It was like really shitty contracts, and you know these are just people musicians who hire a lawyer that victory recommends and like they really just fucked over their artist and it's crazy because of course victory being a powerhouse at the time in terms of that scene and of course who doesn't want to get signed to a label and this is why going you know full circle about as far as the you know live music or music being music being what it is we were so quick to demonize things like illegal downloading or mp3s and things like that as to why music failed but really labels even now are just as crooked as they they were years ago and it's a shame because there's yeah you go to a label because again you get the distribution maybe you get a bigger pay cut and a wider exposure to a bigger fan base but yet most of them like a lot of bands have ended up being broker than they did when they started and it's a shame that they get exploited by people who make money off of their backs, and then they don't have to. They don't see a dime for it. Yeah, and there's like, in the, isn't the whole music industry literally was just made, like it was created just to literally steal from like poor musicians. Like there, I forgot. There's like a documentary I watched. I think it was the Thirty Seconds to Mars one. No, downloaded, and they did a brief history of the music industry, and it was like, this is gonna sound horrible, but it was like primarily wealthy Jewish owners. And their intent was to hire poor, uneducated, uneducated black musicians and just to steal all of their – and to take their content and make no money off of it. Like the whole industry was literally created as like a corp as, as corrupt as it could possibly be to begin with. Artists like Ray Charles were so important because where a lot of musicians just performed, very few of them knew the business side of things. And I'm not going to lie, it happens today as it happened then, and bands from all walks of life, where, okay, look at yourself, let's say you and I are in a band, neither of us really come from that much money, like, I mean, we do well for ourselves and whatnot, but 
we're definitely not rich by any means. You get signed into a contract and you're promised a lot of stuff. And it's like, if you don't really know what's good and what's not, you know, you're fortunately going to get taken advantage of. But then to have an artist who was business savvy and made sure that they controlled as much of their content and other stuff and owning their, you know, original master tapes at the time, like, uh, Ray Charles did, it, it's a huge, it's a huge deal because most people wouldn't think to even do that. So it, it's, it's definitely something that's sad that I see that it still happens. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's weird. I never knew that. And I never knew this when you sign like a contract, um, it's basically taking a loan out from a bank. So you have to make all of that money back before you see <laughs> anything. Like if you, um, yep. 30 seconds to Mars made a really great documentary called artifact, which I watched on Netflix. And it was about how they were being sued for like $30 million by their label. And then it kind of breaks down some of the hypocrisy of like for every album sold, they charge you like a fee for like packaging and stuff. And then the fucked up thing about the music industry is like, they still charge you that fee for digital downloads. <laughs> so like uh, they have to pay a percent of every album sold for like 30, uh, any band like Katy Perry to, to 21 pilots, whatever the hell they're called. They pay like X amount of dollars per album sale for packaging fees for an album that was never made or produced. Like, it's just like yeah. st- stuff like yeah. that. It's ridiculous. Oh it's my God. So depressing. And you only make money off live stuff. And I, I don't know. It, that, there's some great document I, and I love documentaries like I just fucking love them so much like in the Saturday morning when I my when Victoria used to have to work on Saturday mornings and I'd have them the day off I'd wake up get my coffee and watch a good documentary and then I don't care it was the, in the winter it was the best usually HBO or like Netflix and just be like what's on this morning what can I learn about or what can make me feel terrible <laughs> <laughs> I know we've hit all these highs and lows, like oh, great concert, and hey, you know what that is? Fans are being exploited. <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks, right? Like anyone who makes art is just kind. Con- I think when at least going into this at the level of podcasting, it's like I'm going into it knowing I'm never going to see any money, so I don't care. <laughs> well, it depends because I there's definitely that feeling of if you're going to do this for a money making venture. I mean, yeah, maybe it'll branch off into other things that you could do because knowing the things that you're into, and especially as far as like you know the comedy side, who knows where you'll end up from doing a podcast? Oh yeah. Maybe you might end up doing you know producing work or something like that. So I actually do a little now, uh, intern ish, I guess they call it for uh, Fleece Navi Pod, which is Tony Thaxton from Motion City Soundtracks podcast. Dude. Yeah. Just. I'm sorry, I'm geeking out. Um, hold on, I'm actually gonna look that up now because I'm. Excuse me, I'm dying of tuberculosis. If you didn't know that, um, yeah, I, there's so many great musicians who I really got to check out their shows. Um, yeah, his, his is, only really music podcast to listen to is uh, mostly harmless, and that's a, that's a lot of fun. I'll have to check that out. I, I feel like I'm the I'm probably the worst person because I want to listen to everyone's podcast, but I only listen to like three. <laughs> the fact I get so happy is that there's so many that exist out there, and then like even when I hit my number, like if I if most of my episodes have now been hitting like the low the higher double digit numbers. Like I'm, I'm almost always under a hundred. It's very rare I hit over a hundred, and that's fine. But I'm like, I have one that hit like over a hundred. I was like, wow, over a hundred people wanted to listen to my show, and there's a billion fucking podcasts out there. How the hell do they find this? And the people I don't know, because I know it's consistent. Because I've been that... having a good turnout international. I've been having the same exact countries, and like in California, I've been getting like a ton of downloads consistently for the last like three months. 
And I'm like, I don't know how, but these are people I don't know that are listening, and I, if they're listening to this far into it, thank you. And it means a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, because even when I did the music blog, my biggest market other than the U.S. was Brazil. And it's just, and oh, I'm like, who do I know in Brazil? Nobody. Yeah, but, mu- but I, at least. But this music is huge down there. Like, bands make, I've, God, I can't remember this guy, Christian, I used to know. I can't even tell you the name of his band. It's like, oh, I can't remember. They weren't, like, big in the States. They made all of the, they were, like, youth core, hardcore, and they would just tour Brazil and Central America, and they made so much money. Like, I mean, not, like, millions, but, like, they made a career out of it for a number of years. There's a lot of bands from the states that do big international. Like my cousin's band is almost only international, and like not that big in the U.S. Well, that's very telling though, because and this is what kind of kills me because there's a lot of great music that I didn't know about until I started blogging, and it's, there's a lot of great bands, a lot of you know, especially in South America, you know, there's starting to really I should say starting to, but there's this really great subculture down there in terms of like I guess punk and metal especially. It's it's really great that you're finally now starting to see a lot more music from other areas, but while there and there's bands who are like massive overseas and yet will probably never play here. I know and in a way they probably will never have to, but it hurts because they'll, as a lover of music They'll like, do New York and like, LA and then leave. Yeah, like Maximum the Hormone, um, they did the, um, out of Japan, they did the theme songs for, I think, Death Note. I forget what it's easy, but point being, they tour here a lot, um, often, but they only hit up, like I said, New York, or like I said, in LA, and then they'll leave, because those are like the two bigger markets. And even then, like, it's not even that big of an attendance. I know, and it's like, why, why, why go, why try to make a name in the place that's the hardest to make a name when you're making our living elsewhere? And that's just it. And I feel that music wise, we are so insular. Like we really look very rarely do we look at anything past our own front door. There's whole other cultures of like music out there that we, you know, there's a lot of bands who are from here who are like crazy overseas and yet they only play like one of like acoustic shows in like, you know, coffee bars here. Yeah. Like Story of the Year was bigger overseas than they were here. And I sometimes, and I feel like Ariana Grande now, but like sometimes I hate America. Sometimes <laughs> I, I like now. to lick a donut and hate America. <laughs> and, uh, I, don't, I, don't I love know. that she did that because I love when people say something negative about America and I love to watch people's backlash because it's really an opinion statement, right? Like you can't right. argue it. So like she hates America. I don't give a fuck. But I love to watch those ass, those type of people who get up in arms about things that don't matter like that. God damn it, she should go to Canada and blah, 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 and be free in Japan and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if Eric, like, why do I I'm care sorry. what Ariana Grande thinks about America? I don't care what she thinks about Germany. <laughs> I don't go to Katy Perry. Like, are you a patriot? Like, I don't care. Who gets... As a fat kid, though, I was offended that she was licking random donuts. Well, that like, was those offensive. Are for... Yeah, at least eat the donuts. No, that was offensive. I'm sorry. You know yeah, what? I don't even really, I felt like such an asshole. I was like, what's an Ariana Grande? I had no idea who anyone was, what they were talking you about. You can go to Starbucks. What are you talking about? Like, someone at Starbucks ate a donut? Wait, they don't sell donuts. This story's preposterous. <laughs> I really had no idea who she was. Like, I don't I don't care. But I love. I them. was so sad for those donuts. There's nothing I love. People will get really mad about things like that that don't really matter. It's like, well, she was doing kind of something. St- and I love when people try to find these think piece articles around them. Like, you're just trying to capitalize off of it. You're part of the problem, Vice. It's not that big a deal. She's a pop star that I don't like who did something I don't care about. Please write about better well, stuff. 
But when it comes to bands who I love who will never ever tour this country, I almost I almost want to say something similar because it's like, damn it, why do we always have to just be, you know, why can't we be be of the world as we're supposed to be? Because damn it, I I want my random like druid metal band from like Scotland to come play Starland Ballroom one day. Like metal is so big in like Norway and that area. Ridiculous. Oh yeah, and when leaves eyes, um, they're kind of like the the Nordic version of Lacuna Coil, but just a little bit heavier. But they're just coming out the new album and they're doing this massive world tour. And guess what country is not on that tour? And they call it a world tour and it doesn't come here. They hate America. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, see, this is what happens because thanks to Obama, now all of a sudden all of our no, I shouldn't say the rest of that because yeah. I. I tell I'm you, if sorry. George Bush was in office, we'd have more metal in this country. Like, no. <laughs> it's just, it's just so weird. It's such a weird industry. I, I have such a, I have such, I had a, such a weird affinity for the aggressive, like redneck racist character. But yet, the more I dive into that character, the more I hate myself for doing it. I do it all the time, and that's one of my favorite jokes to do ever. Is like, thanks Obama, which stuff has nothing. It'd be like. Uh, ben Affleck was cast as Batman. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> but did you ever see that video that um, Obama posted where, um, which one was it? Was it the one where, was it the cookie one? I think it might have been the Oreo one where he goes to, like, um, he pours up the glass of milk and he goes to dunk the Oreo and he can't for the reason. I think either the cookie's too big or the glass is too small or something like that. And he, like, mutters, like, oh, thanks, Obama. Something like that. I, I might be messing that up, but there was a video where he makes a reference to that. It's great if you can ever find it on YouTube. I'm going to look that up. That's awesome. Uh, man, I am... Shit, it's already 5.11. I actually have to kind of get going. I have to do stuff today. Yeah, I guess we both should. See, this is what happens when we get together. Damn it, now Victoria's really going to be upset. No, because... I, I can only hear the TV from the other room, and it sounds like she's watching live stream of Comic-Con. Because uh, I can just hear, I can only hear cheering. That sounds like a sporting event, which does not happen in this house. So it's definitely Comic Con videos. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you for having me on. Oh no, this thank has you been so a lot of fun. Coming on, come back all the time. Um, I, I'll probably put it in the beginning. You've guest hosted, and well, I get, plug yourself. That's why you're here, I guess. It's kind of oh, cool yeah, to have like should... a little bank of people. So I was like, I need, co- I need content, shit. And then I was like, oh, Adrian's fun to talk to. This wasn't even one for like this episode's more of just for us. I don't even care if anyone listens to it. <laughs> I don't know, this is going to be a blast. Of course, I'm going to come back like, wow, I'm really upset. Um, Okay, shoot, where do we, let's see, where do we start? Well, um, Adrian has issues with the name of my podcast. It's uh, at least weekly or sometimes bi-weekly, depending on what ailment I have, Um, <laughs> where, you know, just interviewing people in the comic book industry, and sometimes they're not even comic book creators. They're sometimes they're friends of mine, like Chris Revel, who isn't necessarily as big a geek, but he is a very huge music and comic geek, so... I mean, comedy geek, so there you go. That actually still counts. Um, so let's see. My website, AdrianHasIssues.com. I live on Twitter. Like, I pretty much have a cardboard box that I sleep in on, like, next to Twitter. So that's at AdrianHasIssues. Um, I'm on Facebook. Search AdrianHasIssues there. I think I'm also on Instagram, but uh, that's not really. It's AdrianHasIssuesPod. But, yeah, just search AdrianHasIssues, and I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, and I don't know what this Periscope thing is. Maybe I'll get into it if the kids like it, but maybe I'll, I'll figure that out. 
if you ever end up needing to do a place to put more of your writing besides your blog, um, I'm also on Square Pop, so like they always want content for like writing and stuff, and you would fit in right real great there. Oh, cool! Ranting of a thirty-year-old drunkard who uh, listens to way too much music. Yeah. Well, if you ever start need any content, make content yourself or uh, that music thing. Let me know. I have more time than I should admit to. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, because like I said, I, at one point I really want to get into the music thing. I just have to work out logistics in terms of both time and content because that's uh, formatting is going to be a little bit different. But yeah, definitely, I can't wait to. I've always wanted to get do that music started. review. Up. I've had this idea, and maybe you'll be the person I'll ask to do because I, I need to find someone to do it with me. I want to find an album that I hated and go back and listen to it and see if I still feel that way, and then discuss it. Okay, um, you know what? We're going to talk about that more once the microphones are off real quick. But, yeah, I'm definitely up for that. Like uh, Fall Out Boy's Infinity on High. Oh, my God. Okay. Because I've been listening okay. to pieces of it and kind of like it. And I was like, huh, I remember really talking a lot of shit on this. All right, we'll definitely have to check yeah, that out. Yeah, those could be spinoff right. episodes or new po- I don't care what it is. But, all right, all right man. Have- I am so down for that. Let's do it. Well, you have a good rest of your day and... Let's go have our, our ladies be like, what were you doing for so long? <laughs> I know. My, my lady's probably ready to kill me. So Yeah. I was like, I, I purposely scheduled it while she was out. <laughs> <laughs> and then she came home and was like, crap, still talking. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good night. All right, man. Thank you. You too.